and it says this and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he Jesus had answered them well asked him which is the first commandment of all and Jesus answered him the first of all the commandments is hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength this is the first commandment and the second is like it namely this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself there is none other commandment greater than these and the scribe said unto him well master thou hast said the truth for there is one God and there is none other but he and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly he said unto him thou art not far from the kingdom of God and no man after that durst ask him any question well we are going to look today at the issue of loving God how are we to love God that's the question well uh, last time I spoke to you which was two two weeks ago now we were speaking about uh, Jesus in the temple weren't we I was talking to someone the other day about the pros and cons of books as opposed to the films based on them and I realized that one of the advantages of the written word is the author can describe what's going on in the minds of the main players uh, something which is difficult to do when it's being acted out uh, on a stage or on the screen so in a way reading through Mark's gospel gives us some advantages over the people who were present when Jesus was 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 interacting with these religious leaders it's because it's sometimes revealed to us what Jesus and other people were thinking so we come today to the third of these challenges um, that Jesus faces on this particular day we, we've seen him we've seen him approached by Pharisees um, then there were some Sadducees and now it's the turn of a scribe they're like the three main groups aren't they spoken of in the scriptures had we been had we been standing around while this conversation took place we, we may have concluded the scribe was, was sincere because if you only had access to Mark's gospel and nothing else yeah, that's the conclusion you would come to Mark obviously felt he didn't want us to focus on that really but for our purposes I think it's I think it's worthwhile mentioning that if, if you do some research into this you'll find you'll find his real motive that this scribe just like the others approached Jesus in the hope he'd trip him up and get him to say something incriminating perhaps so who were these scribes who who were they now we're not to think even though we see them uh, as part of a list Pharisees scribes and uh, Sadducees we're not to think of them as uh, another sect 
like the Pharisees and like the Sadducees. It's it's not quite like that because some of the scribes belonged to the sect of the Pharisees. And um, for example, or some belonged to the Sadducees, some belonged to neither neither group. And the thing about the scribes was the, these were men who were um, highly talented in uh, their, their, their reading and writing. Their, their, if you like their, I'd say their standard of English, it wasn't English, but you get what I mean. And so they were at such a, such a high standard, their, their skills, that they were made use of by, by, by anyone who could who could get them to, to work for them. And so we, we find scribes being, um, scribes who are involved on the religious scene being also employed by the civil rulers, by the civil magistrates for, for doing um, doing work for them too. And so, uh, I mean, some of the scribes were even priests and, and Levites. So this guy, this, this one scribe, he'd been listening to the proceedings and... And he realised it, it was obvious Jesus was showing real wisdom here. And so he decided he'd approach Jesus to test Jesus's orthodoxy. Now, when you, when you realise the question he asked has been vigorously debated within Judaism for forever. So it's not surprising he asks this question. Many of the greatest rabbis... Uh, I've, I've considered the, the question. Now they obviously knew. They obviously knew that um, some commandments were more important than others. But they'd always looked for one principle from which all the others could be said to, to flow. One overarching principle. And so if there was such a thing, what would it be? Jesus' response is quite interesting. He quotes from scripture. But it's not just any scripture. What he quotes is the Shema, a Jewish statement of faith. Now, and of course, that statement of faith is from scripture itself. Okay. But but Jesus chose this one because it was significant to the to to his hearers. So traditionally, this. This thing that I just read to you, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That would be recited morning and evening as part of Jewish worship. Jesus gives his answer and the scribe openly agrees with Jesus. You've answered well, he said. And as was the habit of the rabbis, he, he repeated what Jesus had said uh, to, to affirm it. Uh, I know you might notice you might notice in his response he, he changes the word mind to understand and that that is that is irrelevant don't worry about that but I think it's clear this this scribe had something of, a, of an epiphany really because the scriptures have told us the scriptures tell us uh, that um, he approached Jesus to, to tempt him yeah ju just within the time it took for Jesus to say those words what, 30 seconds? The scribe underwent a change of heart. And as I read this, it reminded me of the, the very rapid U-turn that we witnessed with the thief on the cross, you, you remember. Anyway, Jesus' opponents had had enough. 
they realised they couldn't confound him. But take note of this. His impressive answers didn't cause them to rethink their assessment of him. The general opinion of, of these people was the same. That they wanted Jesus discredited or dead. But what a what a display of heavenly wisdom this was. And significantly, this all took place in the temple, of course. And so just in those the past couple of days um, from where we pick up the story today you know Jesus has shown the uselessness of the whole religious system uh, of the Jews he'd shown the inadequacy of the of the temple uh, of all the regulations the burnt offerings and sacrifices the Sanhedrin the Pharisees and Herodians the Sadducees the scribes everything and and in, in, in the things he said, the things he did uh, at this time, it, Jesus had revealed something of his authority. And for those who could see what was going on, Jesus was, was taking over the temple here. No, not only was he showing his superiority to temple worship, he was setting the stage for his final act, his victory at Calvary and his demolition of Jerusalem and its temple. Well, since this quote from Deuteronomy is central to, to Jesus's encounter, uh, it's obviously important to Jesus. I thought we could look today at how we can love God. How are we to love God? Well, here's the first thing. We, we, need, we need to respect and, and honour and glorify his son, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ who was the, the real authority uh, this day. And remember, he'd been revealing more and more about his true character uh, up until this point. Now, in the estimation of his disciples, he'd gone from being a rabbi who was worth following to being the Messiah. From a theological point of view, Jesus presents a difficulty because the grander the claims he makes about himself, the more like God he becomes. There can't be two gods, can there? And yet it was clear Jesus was more than just a mere man. Yet, the, 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 the more divine his followers thought him to be, the nearer they would get to, to blasphemy. Which is exactly what the Jews were accusing Jesus of. Because of his grand claims. To, to, Jesus was claiming he was God and, and not just you know the, the Jews were reciting this this uh, mantra every morning and evening um, and you know it emphasises there's just one God well it would take the early church a couple of hundred years to conclude that Jesus was truly divine he, he is they, they described it they described it using the language of philosophy a little bit. They said he was of the very same essence as the Father. And then, and then, and then shortly after that, the, the church realised the Holy Spirit was also part of this Godhead. And so it was. The doctrine of the Trinity was born. Now, 
You look in verse 29, the, the Jesus says, quote, He blatantly affirms his own belief that there is only one God. If he was a pretender uh, who wanted to show himself as the uh, as another God, then he would be he would he would certainly wouldn't be bringing attention to to to, to this uh, to this verse. Uh, if he wanted to show himself as some creation of God, the highest creation of God, I don't think this is how he would have done it. His approach is being to say, "There's only one God." I am, <laughs> I am equal with God. There's only one God. He was trying to get them to, to understand this this thing. So at the same time as he's revealing his divine nature, he was asserting the doctrine of there being just one God. Listen to what it says here in Isaiah 44. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last and besides me there is no God. Jesus is not another God. So, well, next week, I mean, God willing, next week, we'll hear Jesus talk about um, King David because King David spoke about the Messiah, that this uh, this figure who would be equal with God. And do, you, do you see where all this is going? If Jesus really does have the ability to forgive sins, as he claimed, and is equal with God, then this quote from Deuteronomy the Shema is about him without knowing it all these pious Jews the Pharisees the scribes everyone they'd been expressing this confession of faith day and night their whole lives all the while unwittingly glorifying the son listen to how uh, the apostle uh, Paul when he's writing to his friend his, his, his brother in Christ Timothy how he describes Jesus and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest. He was shown in the flesh. That's Jesus. We're to recognise this. And in, in doing that, we honour Jesus. And in honouring Jesus, we show something of our love to God. We also honour Jesus by acknowledging him as the saviour of the world we who are believers have at some point in our lives understood the atonement that what happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago was to do with us each one of us was not far from Jesus's thoughts even while he was in agony on the cross and when he ended this work of atonement he announced it is finished what a powerful statement. Every one of our sins then lay destroyed in the ashes of the furnace which had consumed Jesus' soul. To those of you who are watching this today, I would say, does this apply to you? Do you know for sure your sins have been dealt with? You, you don't have your sins dealt with just by being a member of the human race. If you're not sure you, you are redeemed, persevere in your prayers to God. Keep asking for mercy. And we, we pray that the Lord will grant you the blessing of that wonderful assurance of belonging to Jesus Christ. 
Those who uh, preach can honour Jesus by exalting him in their messages. And their congregations, th these are the ones who are co-workers with their pastor, their preacher in the ministry. They support him in all kinds of ways. They themselves are part uh, of this uh, honouring of Jesus through preaching. I'll, men I'll mention just one, just one more way that we, we honour Jesus. It's in the commemoration of his death that we remember each time we break bread together. Uh, in this time around the Lord's table, which some people call Holy Communion, God's word tells us we're, we're, we're signifying, in this bread and, and wine, we're signifying Jesus' death. And we're to do that till he returns. And when he does return, this ritual will end along with baptisms and prayer meetings. But until then, uh, we show our love to God by honouring Jesus around that table of communion. Here's another way that we love God. We pay attention to his word, the Bible. You look at verse 29, you will see that Jesus is quoting from the scriptures. And we, we note how highly he valued them. He, he read them, he studied them, he preached from them, and he lived by them. Perhaps then you can see how then attending to God's word is also an act of love towards God because it's we value him so much. So therefore, we, we also value what he has to say. I want us to be clear what we mean when we say the Bible is God's word. Uh, some people watching this might be uh, maybe um, maybe not, not believers or new believers or people who are just inquisitive. Uh, if that's you, God bless you. But let, when we say the Bible is God's word, what do we mean? The doctrine is called the doctrine of inspiration. That's how that's how the Bible was was, was uh, written, and. That doctrine shows us that people wrote the Bible. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't sort of dropped out of heaven. Um, these guys writing the scriptures weren't in a trance and just sort of scribbled down words coming in the head. That's not inspiration at all. Whether the Bible uh, is uh, whether it's talking about historical events, prophecies, uh, it's giving instruction. We say men wrote the Bible. But the important thing is. They were so guided by the Holy Spirit, they were kept from error, and they only set down the things God wanted. I'm making this point so we all understand that God used some of the characteristics of the authors that affected how things were written. But however we describe it, God is still the overseer of the whole process, and for this reason we call the Bible God's Word. And if it's God's word, it deserves our respect. Um, we show we show our respect, well, firstly, by reading the thing. <laughs> I've got members of my family who, uh, who are not Christians, who, who treasure their Bibles. Oh, it's a real treasure. Um, <laughs> one, one of them had um, a Bible in a bookcase in the living room. Pride of place. Sitting there like some, you know, ancient relic never read just just sitting there as a, a sort of as if like 
the Catholics with their mass wafer, you know, just something to be adored, or maybe a lucky charm in the corner, you know, God won't be angry with us, we've got his Bible in the corner, that'll cover us. But, we're to read the thing, we're to read it till it falls to pieces, then, unlike the Quran, we will throw it in the bin or on a bonfire and buy a new one. It's just a just paper. And we we read it like mad and then it says here in in Romans it says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you see, if you don't listen to the word of what God's saying by reading what is is, is um the scriptures, then how can you have how can you find faith? So it's through this reason God gives faith to his uh, elect people. And he, he ensures that the, the, the gospel reaches them. And I know some, some, have, some, have, um, some have read the Bible for themselves and found the gospel message there. Just reading the scriptures. But the normal way God works is that he obviously he's raised up men and women to explain the Bible to, to, to others and when God does uh, decide to, to draw one of his uh, people in to reel in one of his elect people he ensures that they understand the word he enlightens their understanding so they finally get it someone um, a place I worked years ago with um, homeless people one of the homeless um, girls asked for uh, a Bible, and um, th so, some someone someone found uh, they got one of these um, they got one of these um, modern uh, paraphrases. I think it was the Message, which is obviously um, it's a great read. It's, it's not it's not accurate, uh, but you know it's it's a matter of trying to balance the the two competing principles and. But anyway, it's very, very readable, you know, and um, and yet, no matter how simple you make it, um, people won't understand it. The the important stuff they won't understand. Um, this this girl who received the Bible brought it back the day after and said, "I can't understand the words of that because these things are spiritually discerned, aren't they?" So when God saves someone by His Holy Spirit, He puts light in the soul, and He can. They finally get it. They, and then after that, they determine they're going to, uh, they're going to leave behind uh, their sin, their life of sin, and, and go and follow Jesus. And then the Bible then suddenly comes alive. And when they read it now, they see it's about them and the God that they now have a relationship with. So. We've looked at uh, God's word, paying attention to that. There's also obeying God, doing what he says. When a person is saved, we, we sometimes call that being born again, don't we? So when God, when God forgives their sins, he promises them he's going to raise them up from the dead on the last day. That person no longer searches the scriptures for salvation. Now they have this, the Bible takes on a new function for them that are they're now to read God's word and treat it as their guide for their whole Christian walk. I'm sure some people 
get the impression Jesus came to sort of reinvigorate the Jews' religion by encouraging them towards love and obedience, as if they'd say, love and obedience, we've never heard of this before, but that's not true. The Old Testament is full of references, not only to the need to love God and love others, but that obedience to God is of far more importance than carrying out rituals. Rituals, by the way, which God gave. You can see there in verse 33, how even the, the scribe understood the importance of obedience. He, he acknowledges that obedience to God is better than the sacrifice of creatures. You see, it's easy for someone to join in a religion and take part if it comprises nothing but external actions. The, the New Testament calls these things bodily exercises in, in opposition to spiritual exercises. Uh, listen to what the prophet Hosea says uh, on that theme. For I, God, desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So we, we can apply this to the modern church. God wants people to attend places of worship. He, he wants them to sing his praises and pray to them, uh, pray to him. Uh, he, he wants them to pay attention to his word but people can do all those things and do them very well without having a shred of spiritual life in their souls and to those people God tells them it's inward obedience he wants at that stage he's not interested in their songs or their prayers he's not impressed by their regular attendance at church services without the heart of a true servant of God all those things are worthless But for the genuine believer, all these practices in the church are, of course, expected by God and accepted by God. And that person finds obedience to be a joy, not a burden. The psalmist puts it like this. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I only wish everyone could experience this joy of serving God in sincerity and truth. Well, we're looking at how to love God and we said one of the ways we express our love to him is by honouring his son. We also love God by cherishing his word and now we've challenged ourselves to remember we're not just to read God's word or merely listen to it preached but act on it. And that response could be either uh, fostering a better attitude w within ourselves or it could be actually get, getting up and doing something practical for, for someone else. Well, I'd like to bring out just one more, uh, one, one more point from this passage, uh, just one other way in which we can show our love for God. And it's all about treating others well. Another, another point that you may have spotted uh, about Jesus' response here is that his answer goes further than expected. He answered the question sufficiently. He could have left it there. Love God with your whole being. 
is the overarching principle for all people. But he went a step further. He mentioned another principle which you can see in verse 31. It was the direction to love others. Now, now people, people will tell you or you will read in books that the word neighbour in the verse Jesus quoted uh, refers to it's about people in your own circles. So like family, friends, people in the community who you have dealings with. And that may be true, but it's also clear Jesus broadened the definition of neighbour to include everyone. You'll remember he even created uh, a parable about a charitable foreigner, a Samaritan, the good Samaritan. And he showed by his actions that he was a true neighbour. And so, we, we, we also see, don't we, that um, Jesus was, um, in his ministry, he was opening up uh, this new phase in God's dealings with people. And he was opening things up to the Gentiles. I, I, I tend to think Jesus threw in the second principle into his answer uh, to make those two things inseparable, right? So it's like he, he, almost, um, he, almost merges, he almost merges the two things. Well, if you're a Christian, you, you, won't, you, won't find this very un you won't find this unusual. It's a bit of a motto for Christians. Uh, to say, you know, we, we're to love God and we're to love others. We're even to love our enemies, never mind the people around us who we like. But to the, the Jews that Jesus was talking to, this was quite revolutionary. He was instructing them not only that they should love strangers and enemies, but that their faith in God was worthless without it. I'm looking at verse, um, if you look at verse 31 there, and 31, it's, it's always fascinating me why God tells us to love our fellow man like we love ourselves. Fascinating, because loving yourself is a bad thing, isn't it? In a way, we all love ourselves and it's quite natural I mean that we take care of ourselves we make sure uh, our bodies are fed and watered we avoid unnecessary danger we keep ourselves clean and we dress ourselves so we're to look after ourselves obviously but it's done without pride supposed to be if you take care of yourself too much, you become uh, a narcissist. <laughs> so God is telling us to look after ourselves just in an appropriate way. And all these things we want for our fellow man too. We want them to be taken care of. We want them to be fed and watered. We want them preserved from danger. And we want them to be able to keep themselves clean and, and clothed. I had a funny thought while I was preparing this. This is an aside. Uh, well, according to this principle of God's, the more someone takes care of themselves, that, that has to be matched, doesn't it? So the greater the obligation to others. And it could be thought of like a check 
uh, a check on our behavior stopping us from loving ourselves too much you see the more time we think about looking after ourselves the more we have to pray for the brethren to have the same as us yet the more we do pray for others the less concerned we're going to be about ourselves so maybe that's why this was uh, that phrase was in there well we're to love others then anyone we encounter in life becomes our neighbor right um, and we're to show love uh, for them with our words and also the things we do and Jesus is clear it's impossible to love God without loving others these two dangers are to be avoided those who spend their lives serving the fellow man through charitable works even if done in the name of Jesus can become useless if they neglect to pay attention to the instructions in God's word so we see that bias all over the place some Christian groups are not that interested in the Bible but they work the socks off out there and you know for, for the people only seeing to their immediate needs not their eternal needs of course well on the other hand there are those who throughout history have been obedient to God in many many ways but have lacked love for their fellow man and they have been responsible for some of the worst atrocities against God's people I want to just add this one thing to, to, to you who are believers although your although your love to others should be a good example to the world your priority is to the church of God Jesus said anything you do to a fellow believer is treated as if you did it to Jesus himself that's weighty it's, it's good or bad uh, so think think about how this would affect us if we we not only sincerely believe this principle and we should but that we if we kept it at the forefront of our minds well it would certainly make us more careful about how we speak to others and how we speak about others when they're not around so there's a fundamental difference anyway between the people in the kingdom of God and those outside the the, the reason Jesus says whatever uh, good or bad we do to the brethren we do to him is because we're all part of the one organism called the body of Christ we're all part of this one thing <clears throat> at New Road we went through the letters of John not so long back and the principle he emphasises above all others is love for the brethren uh, here's, an, here's an example here in 1 John the, the, his first letter says and this commandment we have from him that he who loveth God love his brother also love his sister also that is his brother and sister in Christ so John writing under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit tells us whoever truly loves God will quite naturally love his brethren also and in a clear word of caution he declares if we hate a brother Christian we don't belong to God <clears throat> where to honour Jesus is the central character in the passage where to heed the scriptures he quoted from where to obey the word 
the same spirit he did and were to love others as he did and as as we've said before we're to do all this with our whole being when it says in verse 30 we're to love God with all our heart soul etc the word all is a translation of the Greek word holies the whole it's where we get our word holistic holistic from you know holistic medicine aims to treat not just individual symptoms but the whole body so our love for God should be likewise holistic every aspect of our existence is to be dedicated to the worship and service of God I couldn't help paying some attention to the list Jesus gives now again we're not to dissect this list as if it you know as if it describes distinct aspects of our character the list is simply trying to convey the idea of the whole person your whole being if you look at but if you look at these references you know the heart and soul type references in the old testament you find it almost always uses the phrase heart and soul um and it adds uh, i think once or twice it might add uh, strength but in the new testament uh, the the phrase uh, usually includes mention of, of strength but jesus adds the word mind now now maybe he just you know maybe he was just adding to the list to to reinforce the idea that it's the whole of us that is to be dedicated uh, consecrated uh, to, to, to god maybe, maybe that but I wonder also whether he wanted to emphasise the, the 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 importance of, you know, using our minds as best we can in, in the service of God and in the study of His Word. Now, some Christians are remarkably lazy when it comes to studying the Scriptures, as if, oh, you know, I I can't I can't study the Scriptures. I, I'm not capable of that. Well, they can study a whole lot of other things. But they don't seem to be want to don't seem to want to put the effort into that. So let me let me repeat this: the heart and soul lists are not to be understood as different sides of our nature. Commentators have tried to relate, you know, one to the intellect and one to the emotions, and or some other side of us. Um, but in general, I think that's not not the aim. Even uh, even a brief study of the Bible's use of those words will will show them to be used mostly interchangeably. So, although Jesus's list is not meant to be taken too strictly, um, we we still need to understand that the principle behind it is paramount. What what is that principle? Well, the principle is that. Whatever your view of, of the things in that list, whatever your view of how a man is made up, you know, the intellect, the emotions, the will, etc., it is your duty to ensure that every one of those faculties is employed in God's service. Whatever the level of intellect God has given you, you're to use it to its fullest. In your focus on the word of God. Whatever your physical strength, your physical capabilities, you to use it in serving others, even if it ends in you being tired at the end of the day. 
whatever the depths of your emotion you're to use it in your uh, you're to use it to intensify your devotion to God and the brethren and whatever other faculty you can think of you're to regard it as only being in existence for this sole purpose doing God's will Paul says to the church at Rome I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service reasonable service it says our wholesale devotion to God which is seen by outsiders as a extremist uh, goes not in the least further than what is appropriate for such a great and glorious God I have to assume not everyone watching today is converted uh, I must assume that and these will likely be people who are not averse to attending church services so maybe a small show of religion if that describes you, I'd like to briefly say something to you. In verse 30, 34, Jesus tells this scribe something quite heartwarming. He tells him he's not far from the kingdom of God. That's nice. Not far from the kingdom. But the harsh reality is, this means he's still outside. The kingdom of God isn't like a mountain, you know, where you, the higher you climb, the, the, the better a citizen you are. The kingdom of God has a door and it's guarded and you've either gone through the door or you haven't. So although it's great this man was at the very doorway, if that's as far as he goes he may as well be a thousand miles away. So going through the motions is no good. You could even have the right doctrine but be separated from God. I mean, an example when I when I share the gospel with people, some are protested, but 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 I believe in God. Listen to this sarcasm in the Bible, found in the book of James. Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. <laughs> I'm afraid your your belief in the existence of God doesn't impress him. The existence of God is clear from if from nowhere else from from his marvelous creation just to start with if if what is seen under a microscope or viewed through a telescope doesn't shout the existence of God to you I can only think you're either blind or willingly stubborn let's say both If you're standing at this doorway to the kingdom today, in the place where this scribe once stood, you need to give yourself to God. Surrender to him. Tell him you believe him now. You realise you are a vile creature in his sight, regardless of how popular you are with, with people in this world. Believe this gospel, that Jesus Christ died to save sinners just like you. If you go to God and receive his forgiveness, your new life in Christ will 
begin and what great blessings there are to be had. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We will, if you like, live in that person. Only then, only then as a true child of God, will you be enabled to truly, wholeheartedly, holistically love God. Well, may peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all you that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, although I can't see you guys, I, I have prayed and will continue to pray that God will use these poorly strung together sermons to, to bring blessing to you and that his Holy Spirit might override and overtake and bless you mightily and so until I uh, until I uh, speak to you again um, uh, the Lord go with you goodbye